In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You may not know him all that well, but he knows you. He looks out after every hair that is on your head. He watches to see what makes tears fall from your eyes. He sees you in your pain and your suffering, and he says, I have a better way. And so he leads you into temptation. He has spent thousands of years mastering this art, and to him we are nothing. How he laughed and exulted to see Eve fall so quickly, deceived that she could become like God, feeding the fruit then to Adam, who was not deceived, yet nonetheless fell. How he and his satanic horde rejoiced when a second Adam, Noah, fresh from the flood, sinned grievously not by eating but by drinking, and his nakedness too exposed. How he gloried at the downfall of Moses, where faithful Moses was unfaithful for a moment, striking the rock to which he was supposed to speak and being barred from entering the promised land. How can we forget the great hellish party that was thrown when none less than King David himself fell in to adultery, murder, and unbelief? Satan has our number. He knows our every weakness. Not even the sum total of God's people in the wilderness could withstand him, nor the sum total of God's people in the promised land. Like a cat with a toy, the nations are his plaything. We see that in the current events of our own time. He towers over the world as the ancient Reformation hymn tells, on earth is not his equal. You are damned, he says. You are damned for your sins of thought, word, and deed. Things that you've done that no one else even knows. You are damned doubly for your excuses, your justifications, your pious lies. Oh, you're damned too for your despair, for your doubt, for turning back, turning your back on God, for committing whatever slow suicide you have chosen. You are damned. No. A voice cries out in the desert wilderness, barely audible in the howling winds. No, your sins are forgiven. Your every sin of thought, word, and deed, no matter how small, no matter how great, no matter if known or secret, your every sin is in my flesh. I have taken it away from you and taken it as my own. 
because I love you, because God loves you. Behold my nail-pierced hands, my spear-pierced side. See my back scarred by the smiters. See my face with spit upon it. See my head crowned with thorns. It was all for you. No, Satan. This one is a child of God. This one belongs to me. And not you or all of hell's satanic crew will be able to snatch this one from my nail-pierced hands. Where there is self-righteousness, I cover it with my own perfect righteousness. Where there is despair, I cover it with my own hope and the hope of eternal life. And where there is sin that nothing can remove, I remove it and cleanse it all with my own holy, divine blood. No, Satan. I have gone to the cross, and this one is mine. Crux sola est nostra theologia. The cross alone is our theology. This phrase, only in recent decades, has come to be misunderstood as a kind of bare minimum, bare minimum Christianity, wherein this phrase, the cross alone is our theology, is used as a wrecking ball to destroy all other parts of Scripture that we don't like. But that is not how it was originally intended. The cross alone is our theology. Therefore, we can ignore the law. Therefore, we can ignore the six-day creation. Therefore, we can ignore that God creates male and female. Therefore, we can ignore the government and whatever it does. You just keep your mind to the gospel. Therefore, we can ignore Lenten discipline. The cross alone is our theology. Do you see in what a poisonous way that phrase and slogan has been used? Turned against the very word of God. But that's not at all what it means. The cross alone is our theology means that all of our theology flows from the cross and leads back to the cross. All of the scriptures flow forth from Christ crucified before the foundation of the world and return to him, not empty, but with our hearts and minds set on his cross and the atonement he made for us. Where else do we see the law fulfilled in absolute perfection than on the cross? Where forsaken by God, our Lord Jesus cries out in perfect faith and love, my God, my God. Where forsaken by man, Jesus cries out, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Where else but on the cross do we see the six-day creation narrative of Genesis fulfilled? For it is on the sixth day that God rested from his creative work, and it is on the sixth day that Jesus is crucified. It is finished, he said. 
And he went into the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and rested in the tomb, only to emerge on the eighth day with the sun and with the dawn of a new heavens and a new earth. Where else do we see the affirmation of male and female, but on the cross? We think back to the first man that God made, and after falling into sin, how God said that from the sweat of his brow, through thorn and thistle, he would bring forth food from the ground, bread to eat. And here we see our Lord Jesus with sweat from his brow, with thorn and thistle wrapped around his head, bringing forth the bread of life that we would eat and live. We see woman, the original woman, after her sin being cursed, that in pain shall you bear and raise your children. And so too at the foot of the cross we see none other than Mary, whom Jesus calls woman. She there with her soul pierced through, bearing the pain of childbirth and child raising. And if we'll follow John, even giving birth, a virgin birth to the beloved disciple, now become her son. Where else but on the cross do we see where church and state malfunction? And the apostate church hurls insults at our Lord. And the tyrannical state crucifies him, though in their own courts he was declared innocent. Yet here we see our true high priest, made like unto us in every way except for sin, that he might be merciful, sympathetic, and compassionate toward us. And where else but here do we see our true king? crowned in thorns, asking not what you can do for him, asking not for the lives of your children to be laid down for the wealth of his own pockets, but rather laying down his own life and distributing everything he has for the good of you, his people. And where else would we look to see the fullness of the Lenten disciplines? Then here on the cross of Jesus, where he fasts, thirsting beyond all imagination. Where he pays alms, he who is wealthy and rich beyond compare in the heavenly throne room, emptying himself that we might be rich through him. And where else do we find more pure prayer? Crux sola es nostra theologia. The cross alone is our theology. All of it. What was the one thing that Satan wanted to keep our Lord from doing? Going to that cross and finishing his work. For if the Lord Jesus went to the cross and finished his work, then all the work of Satan would become unraveled. Sin no more. Death destroyed. The ancient serpent's head crushed in by the heel of Jesus. Let me say that I hold that the temptation of Jesus is so far above our pay grade that we can never fully understand it or exhaust it, its meaning. 
You could listen to a thousand different sermons on the temptation of Jesus, all of them correct, and yet not one of them encompassing it all, this sermon included. But what I'm going to direct your attention to is to see the temptation chiefly as Satan standing in the way of Jesus going to the cross for us. You will recall that Jesus, having just stepped out of the baptismal font, as it were, the Holy Spirit descending upon him, the Father speaking from heaven, this is my beloved Son, finds himself driven by that Holy Spirit into the wilderness and desert, there to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. When Matthew says he hungered, it's like the understatement of of the world. And in that very moment of his weakness, the unholy spirit attacks. What is it that he first attacks but Jesus' own hunger and suffering? The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, what had the Father just spoken from heaven? You are my Son. If you are the Son of God, the tempter says, then alleviate your suffering. Turn these stones into bread. What was the tempter trying to teach Jesus? If you're suffering, fix it. Take care of it for yourself. No need to suffer. I have an easier way. It is precisely the temptation we heard the crowds yelling at him when he was hanging from the cross. Come down. End your suffering. Put away your cross. We'll believe in you. The devil will do anything to get Jesus of his own volition to turn away from his suffering. Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, including that word that will send him straight to the cross. Satan, the tempter, picks up on that. Oh, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you like scripture then? And Satan takes Jesus from the desert floor up to Jerusalem, up to the temple, to the very pinnacle of the temple, and he says, if you are the Son of God, cast yourself down. It is written, remember the word? It is written that he shall give his angels command over you. They will bear you up in their arms, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What is the temptation here? A twisting of Scripture precisely identical to what the false religious teachers hurl at Jesus again when he is crucified. They say, if God delights in him, let God deliver him. Precisely the same temptation here that our Lord Jesus would say, if God is love, If God will save me, then I shouldn't have to suffer this. And if he won't, then maybe he isn't true God, or maybe I'm not his son. Jesus responds, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
From there, Satan takes him up even further, now to one of the highest mountains, and he looks out over the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. Satan, as if to say, you came as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world? Well, I'll give you the world. You who would come to be crucified and risen, who would rise to say, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them, I'll give you all nations without suffering, without pain, without the cross. Just bow down and worship me. To which Jesus responds, Be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. There is no other way to affect our salvation than through the cross. Jesus not only conquers the tempter, but he pushes straight through him to go to Golgotha and there make atonement for your sins and mine, to put death to death and to crush the ancient serpent's head under his heel. And that he has done. What's left? What's left for Satan to do but to turn all his wrath and temptations against you? And he wants nothing more than two things. In the first place, that you would forget the cross of Jesus. Because if you forget the cross of Jesus, then you are damned and his lie becomes true. But the second thing he wants you to do is to forget your own cross, to lay it down. If you're going to be saved and there's nothing you can do about that, at least he's going to take you out of the fight and make you ineffective. What is the shape of your cross? You might consider it this way. Are you a father? A mother? A husband? A wife? Are you a child? An employer or employee? then I hardly have to tell you the shape of your cross. You know it already. Satan would like nothing more for you to abandon that. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And Jesus says, don't follow him, but if you must, do so by putting down your cross. And he tempts us in the same way. If you're suffering, don't suffer. Let the flesh loose. Eat, drink, be merry, take in every pleasure you can. Get rid of the pain. In fact, second temptation of our Lord given to us now, in fact, if God's allowing you to suffer, maybe he's a liar. Maybe he's not true God. Have you dashed your foot upon the stone? Have you been hurt? Then maybe God isn't your God at all. You see how this works? And finally, last but not least, you can have the world, you can reach the world, just set aside the cross that God has given you and go win the world in whatever way you see fit. It'll be glorious, and I'll help you. I will gladly trade in all the success in the world. You can have it. 
as long as you'll come with me when your life is over. Or as our Lord Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The devil wants nothing more than to keep us away from the cross. The cross of Jesus and the crosses that the Father has laid upon us. What then shall we do? We shall loudly and boldly confess. Crux sola est. The cross alone is. Nostra theologia. Our theology. And we gather here together at this altar, rending not our garments, but our hearts, confessing our sins, and receiving that holy absolution of His that flows from the cross and directs our eyes back to His cross. Remembering that baptism by which we are united with Him in His cross, cleansed by His blood, and letting that baptism lead us back to His cross. Receiving this day in our mouths the very body that He gave on the cross, the very blood that He shed on the cross, now given for us to eat and drink for the full forgiveness of our sins. That our hearts may not be set on our failures, nor on the lies of the devil, but that our hearts would be set on Him, His cross, His forgiveness. Trusting that in due time, the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet as well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.